Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Podcast. I'm Kaiser Stuckey, investment strategist, and I'm joined here today by two of my favorite people, Mark Keller, our chief investment officer, and Bill O'Grady, our chief market strategist. For the next 15 or so minutes, we will discuss the FOMC, um, the composition of the current FOMC, um, what the likely um, monetary policy uh, path will be and uh, what we think that would do to the economy. The Fed has indicated that they will lift rates later this year and we keep on getting delays, but it will happen. Um, Despite the current low inflation and weak growth environment, it looks like they will still go ahead with it. Bill, why don't you give us a a better idea on um, the composition of the FOMC, the doves, the hawks, the centrists? Okay. Uh, well, most of the time when what you read in the media is there are hawks and there are doves. And uh, it's understandable why the media does it that way because it, it keeps it very simple. Uh, the trouble is that uh, it, it's not really terribly informative. We like to break the, the Fed down into uh, hawks, doves, and centrists. Um, we do a, uh, a, a presentation. It's a, uh, a PowerPoint that we uh, have on our website that goes into this in more detail. But there are, at this point, four really, truly dove, dovish members of, of the FOMC. Uh, three of them are regional bank presidents, uh, Boston's Rosengren, uh, Minnesota's Kocher Lakota, and Chicago's Evans. And then one of the governors, uh, Brainerd, is considered a, uh, a dove. But study after study has shown that governors virtually never dissent from the chairman. So although her, her position probably would be to keep rates where they are, uh, the reality is that uh, Brainerd will, will vote with uh, Fisher and, and Yellen, uh, who we would put in as centrists. Uh, now, why do we think this is important? Well, we think this is important because there has been a tendency to view uh, Yellen as a dove. Uh, that uh, in much of she has done things that make people really believe that she is, is really all about supporting the labor markets. Uh, in some of her early speeches, uh, she went to union groups to give talks. Uh, that's a really unusual place for a Fed chairman to go give a speech. And, and so uh, there has been a tendency to put her in with the, uh, with, with the other more dovish members. Here's where the difference lies. The, the doves think that 2008 ushered in a different type of economy, an economy that needs to have the support of extraordinarily accommodative policy, uh, perhaps eternally. Uh, and the centrists believe that 2008 was a really, really difficult and bad recession, but the basic functioning of the economy remains the same. And so for the centrists, uh, 
one of the things that you have seen in, in Fed estimations of Fed funds is this persistent expectation, you know, just in about a year or two, we're going to be raising rates, which has actually been the case since rates went to zero. And we, we're still at zero uh, because the economy still hasn't, hasn't increased or it hasn't improved enough to, to trigger a rate hike. But the key point here is that the centrists believe that that is going to occur and it looks like this year is, is going to be it. And uh, so that, that difference between the centrists and the doves uh, kind of clouds people's thinking into saying, well, I can't believe Yellen's going to raise rates. Well, you can believe it if you understand that she views uh, the economy as being uh, sluggish, but still okay and fundamentally the same as it was prior to 2008. Right. So quite a, quite a lot of things that the Fed is uh, trying to understand and the general investment community is trying to understand. Mark, with all of that uncertainty, why do you think they are still looking to raise rates? Well, it's, it's, it's important to note that economists, just like investors, are always loath to say this time it's different. Uh, when they say that, they th- or when they hear that, they, th- they, they think, well, so-and-so's getting out on a limb there. Uh, he's taking some risks uh, because, you know, the world really is cyclical. History repeats itself. Well, sometimes things really are different, and we have to recognize that fact. Or sometimes th- they are cyclical, but the cycles are very long. Maybe things are happening now that haven't happened since, oh, I don't know, the 30s outside of the direct experience of the rest of us. Um, and, and the the Fed, the centrists that Bill was just discussing, uh, don't want to believe that this economy is, is somehow changed, that the world that they have studied throughout their careers is now not the world that they're in. That's normal. That's the way we all tend to act. And, and I think that's what's going on uh, right now. Um, is is that the world, from our perspective, as we talked about in our last podcast, uh, consumer spending is really different. It's a lot less because, like the 30s, consumers are spending a lot of money to pay down debt, and they're just not borrowing more anymore. We think that has a fundamental impact on monetary policy, but not everybody agrees with that, and I think the centrists would be in the camp of not agreeing with that view. And, and I think it's important to note, too, that uh, the centrists have a decorated uh, uh, academic history behind them. Uh, your two prominent centrists, uh, three prominent centrists on, on the board, uh, President John Williams of the San Francisco Fed, uh, Yellen herself and the vice chairman, Stanley Fisher, uh, are all highly well-regarded economists with long and illustrious academic records, uh, lots of publications. In fact, Stanley Fisher, uh, it was once quipped, uh, it was, the, uh, was the dissertation director for at least two Fed chairmen. Uh, Mario Draghi of the ECB and uh, Ben Bernanke of, of the Federal Reserve. And uh, so they have a whole history 
behind them that gives them great academic credentials. Uh, and for them to say this time is different puts them out on a great limb. Uh, it, it'd be a little bit like Plato deciding Plato was wrong. Uh, and and it's if you look at the history of, of scientific thought, you know, Thomas Kuhn's paradigm shifts, things like that. Once you're entrenched in, in a certain part of the ivory tower, it's extremely risky and difficult to move to another part of that tower. And uh, it would require them to make such a move uh, uh, to, to expouse that, oh my gosh, this time really is different. With them charging ahead and uh, actually uh, hiking rates, what do you think the possible outcomes are? What do you think the economy would do? And actually, this is not part of the Fed's mandate, but we do have to take international markets into account, specifically while the U.S. is hiking rates, um, the rest of the developed world central banks are still pursuing aggressive easing policies. What do you think could happen there? Well, the, uh, there, that's a, there's a lot to unpack uh, in, in that comment. Um, the, one of the things that has, has become pretty evident in the last three or four quarters is that the economy has probably gotten a lot more sensitive to the dollar, dollar's exchange rate than it used to be. Uh, the dollar's exchange rate, the dollar's appreciation has been a form of policy tightening, and, and some analysts have estimated it may have been functionally equivalent of a 50 to 100 basis point raise in rates. Uh, I can't prove that or disprove it, but, but if it, the economy is acting as if it did. Here's kind of your, your historical problem. Uh, what everybody remembers from their history of the Great Depression was that in 1936, Franklin Roosevelt won a one re-election. Uh, the economy was actually doing quite well. Industrial production had, had finally made a new high after the enormously deep trough it had gone into during the Depression. And the thinking was among policymakers, both fiscal and monetary, that the the great national nightmare was over, that the, the economy was, was fine. In other words, that nothing really changed in 1929 and that we're back to normal and things are great. And so they began to withdraw stimulus and within a few weeks the economy began to stumble uh, and we went into a, a, a repeated deep recession. Not as deep as the Great Depression, but it was a... a uh, surprisingly deep uh, downturn. And, uh, of course, the members of the Federal Reserve are aware of this. This is all embedded in, in uh, you know, the historical narrative of, of monetary policy. The trick is, and what I fear, is that none of these policymakers are asking the right question. And the right question, I think, is what in God's name led Roosevelt and the other policymakers to, to make that decision? And I think what it really came down to was they still wanted to believe that everything was still the same, that the Depression was just an anomaly and that, see, it, it, we had this thing, we knew what we were doing all along. And, of course, 36, 37 proved that, no, actually, things are really different. Now, the, the centrists on the, on the Fed understand this, and so 
my hunch is they're going to raise rates very gradually. The trick is that there are things that happen around those, those rate hikes that are much more difficult to control, like the dollar, uh, like long-term interest rates, like credit spreads. And you can end up with policy tightening that occurs that's completely inadvertent uh, and could end up having a very negative reaction on a household sector that's still trying to deliver. Let, let me just uh, illustrate what Bill's talking about. Uh, he, he just said perhaps the dollar's strength you know, has been suggested it's equal to 50 to 100 basis point tightening. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if it can be proved either, but it feels about right, to be honest with you. And that's happened without any policy tightening, but just talking about policy tightening. What if 25 basis points resulted in dollar strength that would be equal to another 100 basis points? All of a sudden, given the two together, now we're, we have kind of the functional equivalent of a 200 basis point Fed funds rate. Uh, y- you could have a, a uh, multiplied effect uh, uh, of tightening because of these unintended consequences, which frankly are hard to model. As a result, their economists, which is what the Fed's made up of, often miss it. Yeah, and at the same time, also depends on what if you model based on the unemployment rate, which has actually been improving, or rather if you model based on the participation rate, which is the proportion of Americans working out of the labor force. Um, if you model based on the um, unemployment rate, you rate you should tighten. However, your population um, uh, participation rate, you may not be due for it tightening for a little while. If at all. If uh, at all. It is uh, part of the, another trick with all this is that relationships between variables change. And uh, President Bullard of the St. Louis Fed, uh, when, when the Fed began to uh, end QE last, last year, uh, and the dollar started to strengthen, he was asked repeatedly, well, it, gosh, isn't this going to slow the economy down? And, and his response was, oh, no, if you look at history, it doesn't do that. Well, that's assuming that the sensitivity has stayed the same. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is quite possible that the sensitivity has been enhanced in part because we've become more globalized than the last time we saw the dollar this strong. Uh, and... You only know these things in hindsight. The trouble for policymakers, of course, is they're playing in real time. And uh, they, they, have, uh, they don't have the ability to go back and revise where Fed funds should have been. Uh, you know, that, that is, like many things in life, is not available to you. Great. Well, uh, with that, we thank you for listening. You can find more analysis and commentary on our website at confluenceinvestment.com. Thank you, and auf Wiedersehen.